Now that Roe versus Wade has been overturned, the pro-life movement must learn to combat the abortion movement's direct democracy strategy. On today's program, I'll be outlining what pro-life advocates can do to defeat these constitutional amendments. Additionally, I will address how we should respond to the announcement by Donald Trump that he's running for a second term. Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show, is brought to you by Created Equal, and you can support our work by going to createdequal.org. Just click on the donate link on the right side of the page. And if you like the program, share the program and leave a five-star review. We're on all the popular podcasting platforms, as well as terrestrial radio here in the state of Ohio. Uh, we are still unpacking the midterm elections here. And so we're going to spend a little more time talking about that. And more importantly, where do we go from here uh, as pro-lifers try to digest what happened on, uh, what was it, a week ago, Tuesday, in the midterm elections here in the United States? We're still trying to figure out what went wrong. And so we're going to be talking about that today. And also, I'll be talking about the announcement by former President Donald Trump that he's going to be running for a second term. I'll give you my take on that later in the program. My guest today is Jonathan Van Maren, and he is the communications director for the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. He's an author and speaker and activist. Jonathan, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate you coming on. Always great to be here. So, Jonathan, the reason I wanted to get with you is that uh, you wrote a piece here in First Things uh, entitled Abortion in the Midterm Elections. And it caught my eye. And we talked uh, a little bit about you know this before you actually published it, because you take on the question of what went wrong mm-hmm. and how do we uh, how do we win? How do we take this these losses in states like Michigan and Kentucky, particularly how do we learn from them? Because if we don't, we're going to just simply re- repeat the same results. And of course, I'm concerned about that because we are sitting right here in Ohio where pro-abortion advocate, advocates have already said they are going to put a constitutional amendment on the ballot in 2024, maybe even sooner, uh, right. that would make abortion uh, uh, part of the Constitution. In other words, the state constitution would protect the right to abortion. And this is going to be happening across the nation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many states, but certainly I think we're going to see 10 to 15 to maybe more of these battleground states where pro-abortion advocates are going to come in and do try to do the same thing, repeat what they uh, did in Michigan. So in this piece you, you published, uh, first of all, let me let me just get your take. What went wrong on uh, election night specifically, not not with the Senate and the House. We can talk about that another time. Mm-hmm. But I really want to talk about the constitutional amendments. Why did they fail? Yeah, like there's a, there's a couple of things here. We'll get we'll get into the messaging a, a bit later because I know that's what you and I want to talk about the most. Right. But I think, I think the first thing to point out is that when when direct democracy initiatives are put forward, money usually right. wins because yep. like money doesn't matter in a lot of different scenarios. It matters a lot. With direct democracy in Michigan, for example, um, the the abortion activists actually put twenty two million dollars into advertising. They raised well over forty two million. Uh, the mm, pro lifers yeah. by maximum 
um, estimates only had 16, maybe 16.5. And the same thing happened in the other states. The pro-lifers basically got outspent 35 to 1, not because the pro-life movement was sitting on its resources, uh, but because it didn't have the money. And you and I both know, as people who work full-time in the pro-life movement, that the pro-life movement, I think, has always punched well above its weight, considering the limited Mm -hmm. resources that it has. Right, like right. the GOP has donors like Peter Thiel and the Koch brothers. The pro-life movement doesn't have a lot of people writing those kinds of checks. The conservative movement does, mm-hmm. and there's a distinct mm-hmm. difference between the conservative movement and the pro-life movement. Right, and we're all, we're always going to get uh, almost always going to get outspent. I mean, we can just figure on that, right? Yeah. Uh, and the fact that they raised uh, what was it, sixteen point nine million dollars? Mm-hmm. I thought was quite impressive, to be yeah. honest. Because in Kansas, I think they only raised about eight uh, eight million. So, I mean, that's a pretty good number. Now, uh, you know, they're pumping forty million dollars into the race, or twenty two million they spent on this apparently. And as you say in the piece here, that they own the media. And yeah. if you would talk a little more about that, because I was on the ground in Michigan, and we outdid them in the door to door campaign mm-hmm. and the deployments. There were more yard signs, the church marquees we're talking about, voting no on Prop 3, yet we still lost. Yeah, so one of the points I make in the piece is what you saw happen in Michigan is very similar to what you saw happen in Ireland in 2018 with the abortion referendum there. You've got another example of direct democracy. You have another example of funds being you know, poured in by abortion-supporting progressive activists. And then you have the fact that for every single person that is reached by the pro-life movement every single person reached with the pro-life movement the pro-life movement basically has to do that ourselves whereas with with the left they've got the entire media on their side right just just to give a couple of examples of how egregious this is is you've got you know um, so one google chooses which articles that it prioritizes and you know any anybody who's ever googled anything on the subject of abortion knows they're going to get directed directly to Uh, like information provided by Planned Parenthood or Marie Stokes or one of these major Mm -hmm. abortion providers. Mm -hmm. And so not only did the pro-life movement have an incredibly difficult time breaking through with its message, you literally had, like, so the 44 million that that they had in Michigan, 22 million of it on advertising, is just what was directly put into play by the abortion rights activist group, the overarching umbrella group. That's not talking about all of the money that the media spent pushing for abortion as well by deciding that they were only ever going to tell stories. Like if you read the media right now, you would, you would assume that every single woman who gets pregnant was pregnant as a result of sexual assault, has a baby with a fatal diagnosis that probably risks her life. So the thing is, is that you, you have a, a massive influx of these stories that you have them telling these powerful human interest stories about some woman who was really, really upset because she had to have a late term abortion at six months because she found out, you know, that the baby had a cleft palate or a fatal fetal diagnosis or something like that. And then you have them using the abortion industry to fact check pro-life stories. So if the pro-life movement says, look, this bill will allow abortion up until birth, they're saying, no, 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 that's not specifically what it says. The fact checkers do this even in California, where it obviously allows abortion until birth. They're like, uh, fact check, false. That's not specifically what it says. So you not only have a hard time getting into the media, you have the pro-life message being explicitly rebutted by the media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, in the aftermath of Roe, I mean, there was a prediction there would be a Roe wave. Mm-hmm. I think we did see it at, on, a, on a certain level, for sure, is that people are still, that is, pro-abortion advocates, those who support abortion, were enraged that a Roe versus Wade was overturned. 
it was only what six or so months ago before after that took place that the elections happened. So people are still really hot about it. And they came out and voted uh, based on that, I think. Uh, and the other thing I would add is that it depends on worldview. And I think yeah. Democrats and pro-abortion advocates care more about their worldview than in the economy. I mean, we used to say it's the economy stupid. Well, I think it's stupid now that we say it's the economy stupid in America because that is not what Democrats are running on. Uh, we had the worst inflation in 40 years. We got a lousy economy in America, yet they still prevailed and initiatives like this prevailed as well. So we need to come to grips with the idea that we can't just run as fiscal conservatives. We got to take our message on abortion to the voters directly and not hedge around the outsides of this issue and try to come up with these you really slick, you know, they were talking about and not that I don't want to blame too many people in Michigan because they they did a heck of a job, honestly. But we were talking about whether the amendment was confusing or not. I mean, instead about what about abortion? I mean, this is something we should be saying that abortion is an act of violence. We can prove that. And you don't want to kill your baby and it should be against the law. No, you're completely right on on all counts there, because one of the things that there's been a subtle shift in the pro-life debate that Dr. Charles Camosi, who's an ethicist who worked for Fordham University, pointed out, he said, like reproductive autonomy used to be I have the right to my own body. Right. He's like now yeah. reproductive autonomy has shifted away from bodily autonomy. Now reproductive autonomy is the right to a dead baby, which is right. something substantially different. And that's yeah. why you have to show them the baby. We have to we have to yeah. fixate on what they're talking about. And we'll get to that. But I always thought, you know, the too accusing, too extreme. I think the Michigan activists were second to none. You and I both have enormous Absolutely. admiration for folks like Chris Paulo, who left it all on the field. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that that, that message was too confusing. Um, it was because you have people who are like, oh, we need to vote or women will die because they don't get abortions or because I won't be able to get an abortion that I want to have. And on the other side, you know, the pro-life message being this is too confusing. Vote against it because it's too confusing. Like you're not going to get anybody worked up to go to the polls, not even pro-lifers. No. I wouldn't I wouldn't dedicate a couple of months campaigning for something because I thought it was too confusing. I dedicate a couple of months to campaigning against something because it kills babies at the end of the day. Right. We're losing because the American people don't agree with us, period. Yes. I mean, they, they just don't agree with us. We have to convince them. That's where grassroots activism comes in. And that's where you talk about in this uh, this piece that we do need to simplify our message. What do you mean by that? Well, so a, a couple of things. First and foremost, back to the, the confusing point, right, is we are having a nationwide discussion about abortion right now. Everyone across America is discussing abortion on cable news, on social media, in front of the polling booth, and the vast majority of people have no idea what it is we're talking about. And so we can't have a real debate without defining our terms. And the only way you can find what abortion is is by showing people what it looks like. And I actually recall this this previous piece in First Things written by John Waters, who's an incredibly uh, powerful Irish author. And after the referendum, he actually said the same thing. He wrote a piece called Don't Sanitize Abortion where he said, Mm. if you showed an abortion video to every voter walking in to do away with the Eighth Amendment, do you think they'd still do it? Do you think they'd still do it? And because of my thousands of conversations on the streets and everything I've seen, I genuinely believe that when you simplify the message down to this is what abortion is, it results in a dead baby, you see people shift. Now, the mistake that always gets made is they say this is politics and you have to appeal to people. 
Um, no, that's not necessarily true if you're a pro-life activist, because it is true that our images turn people off, but they turn people off of abortion. And yes, they may that's feel right. negatively towards us too, because we're showing them the images. That's probably true, but I'm not running for anything and I couldn't care less <laughs> what they think about me as long as they hate exactly. abortion too. Exactly. And in the piece, you talk about there are three demographics. You've got the mushy middle, which is the people we're trying to reach. And you have the hardcore extremes, if you will, the pro-choice and the pro-life. We're always trying to reach the mushy middle. That makes sense, right? Those those voters that can go either way. And I was getting pushback from right to life organizations in Michigan to not bring my abortion victim photography and video to Michigan because they said we would anger the middle of the roaders and they would vote against us or in, in support of prop three because they were so mad at me. And I thought, well, you know, they're going to vote that way anyway, if they figure that, you know, if they're, they're, they're that pro abortion that if you show them a dead baby, that that doesn't move them. They, they, they believe that that actually makes them more pro-choice. I mean, I, it's nonsensical that if you show a dead baby picture or video to somebody that they're more, more pro-choice than they were before. I don't think that's the case. I think the statistics and the analysis show differently. Uh, and, and so we've got to change that. I don't even understand the argument because so it, I, <laughs> it I would actually agree. Like, let's say that you, Mark Harrington, were running for Congress and you decided to get people's votes by going door to door with pictures of, of dead babies on them. No, I don't think that would help your political career because shoot the messenger <laughs> is a real thing. And we True. as the activists, our job is to be on the cutting edge of the Overton window uh, where all the tension is pushing it forward. But at the same time, in a direct democracy um, in a, dire- a direct democracy situation, there's not a candidate on the ballot. So you're not turning somebody off of Mark Harrington, congressman, uh, you know, or, or anybody That's else. True. What you're doing is you're turning them off of abortion. I've had an abortion right. activist send me, you know, I get all kinds of interesting emails and messages, as I'm sure you do too. And one of them just said, like, your pictures piss me off because they turn everyone off of abortion. And I thought, like, that's exactly <laughs> what they do. So the point. People always confuse uh, social reform with marketing. If I'm marketing, I'm trying to attract you to something. If I'm using a social reform tactic, I'm trying to repel you away from something. And a lot of pro-lifers will be like, you're turning people off. I'm like, yeah, because I'm not doing marketing here. I'm doing social reform and there's a difference. Amen. And friends, if you want to find out more, you can go to our website. In fact, Mr. Producer, we're going to put this in our uh, description to the show today. Uh, We have on our website some statistical analysis if you're interested as to whether abortion victim photography actually moves the needle uh, in the pro-life position or direction. Uh, We have evidence to that effect. I mean, not just anecdotal evidence. I could bury you with that stuff. Uh, we have actually statistical evidence, and you can find that at createdequal.org. Uh, anywhere where we show an abortion victim on our website, we have a link to this statistical analysis that shows that it actually does move people to the pro-life position and against the pro-choice position. Also, Jonathan has written a book called Seeing is Believing. I think it's the best uh, approach to this topic, uh, comprehensive approach to this topic that's ever been written. And you can pick that uh, book up on our website at createdequal.org on the store. That's Seeing is Believing. That's Jonathan Van Maren's book on the uh, effectiveness of abortion victim photography. Uh, The final point uh, that you make in the piece, Jonathan, is that we need to blunt the advantages that direct democracy lends to the abortion movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, They do have inherent advantages. They've got the media, they've got the money, 
social media, basically all the institutions are working in one direction. You talk about blunting the advantages. What did you mean by that? Their advantage is they have a very simple message and the disadvantage is that it's a lie. Their message is women yeah. will die if, if, if you ban abortion. Our, um, our message should be equally simple. Abortion kills a baby. Don't vote for it. And here's yeah. the thing is if we're putting those impressive teams on the ground, but they have a message that instantly resonates, especially when it's a visual message, I think we can blunt the advantage that way. Because in both Ireland and in Michigan, I would put our ground game and our ground teams against theirs yes. any day of the week. Yeah. And finally, let's just leave some parting words, some encouragement for those who might be feeling discouraged in America. I know mm. I've talked to a lot of them. Uh, you know, we're, we're on. The, listen, we we didn't let any time pass here. We're, we're back at it the next day. Uh, we, we've learned to live with victory and defeat here at Created Equal. We know what it's like. We're back doing what we know works. But how what would you say to activists who are staring down this imminent, uh, you know, that we're like in Ohio, where we're seeing mm-hmm. more than likely a uh, an attempt to put this in the state constitution. What would you say to them? Well, the last time I was on your show, we were in front of the Supreme Court two days after Roe v. Wade got overturned. And I yeah. think that while it's important to move on and keep fighting, as you actually mentioned in D.C. that very weekend, right? You know, tonight, tonight we have a celebration party. Tomorrow we're back in the streets. Is that right. it took 48 years to overturn Roe, but fall it did. Uh, We saw 13 states in the immediate aftermath pass strict restrictions. 26 of them have more restrictions than they did before. Uh, All of the work coming out from Dr. Michael New, who's the pro-life movement's resident statistician, indicates a stiff drop in the abortion rate in several different places, including Texas, where he even looked at the surrounding states to make sure that he was accounting for women who traveled out of state to have abortions. And so we can now provably say, based on research, that since Roe fell in June, thousands and thousands of babies who would have died are alive. And so I like what Kristen Paulo said when she wrote her very, very moving uh, um, you know, analysis after the Michigan analysis where she says, if abortion doesn't stop, neither do we. And if anything, exactly. this year of all years, we should be able to look at what's taken place and say, even if you're a Joe Scheidler and you don't live to see the moment, these things do happen. And they happen with people on a shoestring budget and a lot of courage and conviction. Jonathan Van Maren's been my guest today. He's the communications director for the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. And you can follow uh, Jonathan on his website at thebridgehead.ca. That's thebridgehead.ca. And you can read this uh, piece that he wrote for First Things at firstthings.com. Jonathan, thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. Well, friends, it's official. Donald John Trump is running for a second term as President of the United States. And I I just wanted to take a few minutes and make a couple of uh, comments and observations regarding this announcement. We all knew it was coming. Uh, some of us are not so happy. They would let rather see Ron DeSantis run for president in 2024. But I, I got a couple of things I need to say. First of all, get over it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, Donald Trump's running for president. Uh, we knew that was going to happen. We can't do much to stop it if, if we could. Uh, there's nothing we can do. He has announced he is running. 
And it's highly likely that he's going to become the nominee for the Republican Party. That's just the facts. So I would suggest to you, if you have reservations about supporting President Trump for a second term, it's time to get behind him and support him. It's unlikely that there's going to be a challenger that's going to be able to defeat him for the nomination unless it's Ron DeSantis. And so I say just just get with it. Get behind him. If he's the nominee, we need to support him and resist the temptation to throw him under the bus this early, because that is not going to help our cause in the long run. Number two, I have been the supporter of Donald Trump because he's a disruptor. Like me and any other activist, we try to bother people or do certain things in order to get people to think differently. Donald Trump is that kind of person, and we need someone. Uh, to stand in the way of what's happening in America with the Biden administration. We need someone who's going to tell the truth, who's willing to take the arrows uh, in the, on the front side and the back side uh, for what they stand for. And Donald Trump's been willing to do that. Donald Trump will take fire for what he believes in. We know that. He's a fighter. He's a disruptor. And we need that type of person as president, especially now. I would also say that if it were up to me, I would like to see a Trump-DeSantis ticket in 2024. Now, I think that's unlikely because I don't think Ron DeSantis wants to run as a vice president, Donald Trump. That might be a disaster, to be honest with you. The folks, the, the two might not get along, which would damage Ron DeSantis in a run in 2028. So that's unlikely. But I can tell you this, that would be a ticket that would be almost impossible to defeat. And if Ron DeSantis wants the inside track to the White House, then it would make sense for him to run as Donald Trump's vice president. I don't think it's going to happen. And I would suggest that if that is not going to be the case, that Ron DeSantis just wait until 2028. And then I'll also say this. The reason why or one of the reasons why uh, Donald Trump announced so early right after the the midterm elections uh, is because he expects that there's going to be an indictment handed down against him. And he wanted to get ahead of that. Think about this. If an indictment is handed down against Donald Donald Trump uh, for the Mar-a-Lago situation, uh, just just think what that looks like. Uh, it, It doesn't look good. The Biden administration's Department of Justice, their thugs will be prosecuting or bringing an indictment against their opponent. The sitting president of the United States, his Department of Justice, uh, would be bringing an indictment against his opponent for president in 2024. It's a terrible visual for Biden to have to deal with. And maybe this was Donald Trump's way of saying, don't do it. Uh, as as we found out with Hillary Clinton, uh, the Department of Justice did not bring uh, indictments against her in part because they said they would just allow the American people to decide. So I'm, I'm certain that might have figured in to his decision making. Uh, and then finally, let's just say this. Joe Biden's going to be running for reelection. Uh, a lot of people don't think he's going to. I've always said he will. And here's why. He's the perfect Manchurian candidate. Uh, he, he does what everyone says for him to do. He reads the teleprompter. He goes where he needs to go and says what he needs to say. He's perfect for the Democrats 
and for liberals and the leftists and the Marxists to control him. Why would they want another candidate? I mean, he proved that he could win in 2020, although I think there's evidence to the fact that he didn't win, but they proved that he could win. And why wouldn't it be the case again that he could win? Uh, Anyway, I mean, you could run almost anyone as a Democrat and they're going to get 50 percent of the vote. That's just how America is right now. It's a divided nation. And you have cities like uh, Philadelphia, Atlanta, Georgia and Phoenix and Detroit and others that are determining the elections. And so the Democrats just need to win those cities and they win the White House. So Joe Biden's going to run. And who would you want who who would you want to run against Joe Biden? None other than Donald Donald Trump. He is the man here in this case. And and I would say this, if Donald Trump does win the White House, it sets up Ron DeSantis to run for president in 2028 and hopefully be reelected in 2032. So this could lead to 12 years of Republican rule, 12 years of Republican rule. And that would help certainly in slowing down this agenda of the left to kill babies and this tyrannical leadership that we see in Washington. Uh, This is basically our only political hope is that we get the White House back in 2024. I think Donald Trump could be the man to do it, but I will support whoever is nominated for president uh, as the Republican nominee. And let me just be clear, I'm saying this as an individual, Mark Harrington, I'm not speaking on behalf of Created Equal, just to be clear, so the IRS doesn't come after me for electioneering, for our organization electioneering. We are not endorsing Created Equal is not endorsing Donald Trump for president. Let's just make that clear. This is Mark Harrington speaking as an individual. So that's my take on things. Uh, It is what it is. We need to get over it. Donald Trump is running for re-election. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember, America, to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to markharringtonshow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.